Welcome back to How I Deal, where we examine a single pass-close deal, how and why it played out that way, and provide some hopefully helpful sales tips right from the front lines that you can use in your deals today. My name is Taylor Dollum, full cycle account executive, now content guy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Junior Latte, the sales scholar here at Pickle. June, what's up, man? Yo, it is episode 46. And speaking of sales scholar, here's a little piece to think about. When you start finding success, document that process, right? Document the process that helped you get there. It'll pay dividends now, and then it'll pay dividends for your career at large. Become a scholar of sales. Yes, there's always key details in the moments. Write it down. You'll probably learn something. If not, it's a good exercise anyway. A quick explainer for those maybe tuning in for the first time. Each conversation, we chat through a single pass deal, leaving out all names, all places, all things that can mark back to how you worked it. But ultimately, that allows us to dive a lot deeper from the first time you either saw that prospect in your CRM all the way to getting that final signature and kicking things off as a customer. Today, we've got Chris Horton. He is Utah's adventurous tech sales guy. I love the tagline. He started as an SDR at Solution Reach in 2017. He later then joined Workstream in the first batch of salespeople for the organization, which is crazy. And for the past two years, he's been selling enterprise. Chris, give us an interesting fact. And of course, tell us the problems that Workstream solves. Yeah, man, that tagline gets me. I still don't know if I hate it or not, but no, interesting fact that I think tells a little bit of who I am and what I like to do outside of work is that I fairly recently climbed my rock climbing, climbed my first hardest grade, which is 513. So interesting fact about me is that I'm a 513 climber. And then Workstream, a basically an HR product that helps hire hourly workers faster, better, helps make the process a little bit easier, specifically for those folks hiring hourly workers. Love it. Chris, two questions. First one, based off the fact here, what the hell is 513 and why is it so impressive? <laughs> I don't know if it's really not that impressive. It's nothing like I'm a pro, but for me, it was a big deal. But basically in climbing, there's, and it's different in Europe or if you're out in different parts of the world, but in the United States, we use like the five point grading system and you go like 5.5, 5.6. When you're doing like five, six, five, seven, five, eight, that's when you actually start to like rock climb. So it's five, six, five, seven, five, eight, five, nine. And then when you get into the five tens, they have five, ten, A, B, C, D, and oh, wow. on from there and then all the way up. So anyways, I've been a climber my whole life. My, uh, we, my family opened a climbing gym down in St. George. So I had this big goal of climbing 513. I'd been climbing like 511s for so long. Finally got into some 512s and then eventually pushed to the 13s. And now I guess I can retire. Yes. I assume you were, you're strapped in, right? Not free soloing. <laughs> yeah, definitely roped. My wife would kill me if I ever did a free solo. <laughs> Excellent. Well, let's get back to the deal. I just was fascinated because I, I know nothing about climbing walls and the, and how high they get, but uh, walk us through the, yes, walk us through the deal that uh, you're talking about today. So this is a deal that I ran with a client in the restaurant industry. They're a quick serve or QSR 
operator. They've got about 40,000 employees. The stakeholders that I've worked with on that deal is the CEO, the VP of HR, and then Director of Talent Acquisition, the HR org in specific. And then the reason I chose this was just it was very unorthodox from the beginning, all the way from like how I got introduced to the, to the CEO and then how I actually ended up getting meetings with the HR team and on from there. Love it. This is going to be a fun deal, especially like this introduction piece, the way this thing got started. But before we actually get to the prospecting piece, was this like sitting in your CRM, sitting on an account list? How'd you find out about them? And then of course, like the research that you either typically conduct and the research you conducted here. Yeah. So this was this has been a target account of mine for a little while. The way that we determine some of that and like determine how we go after things is in the, in the segment specifically with restaurants and franchised restaurants is there's a magazine, QSR magazine, or there's a bunch of different restaurants out there. Um, But there's a list that they put out every year called the Franchise uh, 200. And it's like the, the North America's top 200 franchisees or franchisee groups, largest groups, most profitable groups. And on that list, the biggest, largest had just signed with a competitor of mine, just signed a two-year two year deal. And so I was like, I'll go after number two. And uh, even that seemed like a pretty daunting task. So, but anyways, put it on my list. It's kind of like one of the whales that I just always wanted to win eventually and uh, just try to make it happen sooner rather than later. And as I put them on that list, I started to call some contacts, customers that I had in the area and kind of talk to them, see if they knew any of the folks at that organization other folks across the country, even that had dealt with the different brands that they run and things like that. Yeah, just trying to see if there was any potential events or anything that the stakeholders from that group would be at as well. So we're talking number two on the list of largest franchise companies. This is like the McDonald's, the Wendy's, the Burger Kings, right? <laughs> Before we go into like more details, my next question is, We know you closed this deal, right? So do you get free food from this organization for the rest of your life? That's a good question. I have not. No, I've joked around a little bit and it didn't land very well. I dropped (laughs) that joke. (laughs) Yes. You're like, I love Taco Bell, by the way. I would love a free Taco Bell gift card every day of my life. Yeah. Uh, I love the research piece that you did here, right? Where you look at first, like geographically, like where are they? Where's the HQ? And then you start calling customers that you have in that area just to get some insight, see who's connected to who. That is such a great way to like, just even get started. Like, where do I start? Well, figure out like who knows who in the space. And that could be a pretty strong place to go from. Yeah. I think for the longest time, people have had that, that thought that like you could just drop in mails like 24 seven and expect to but I think LinkedIn, especially is being used more as I call it like a sleuthing tool. Like I just go to find where people are and who they're connected to versus that's how I connect with them. So yeah, finding out where they at, who are they connected to, and then going from there. At this point, you're circling, right? Like you've got the idea, you know who you're reaching out to, you're hitting up kind of adjacent customers of yours and trying to understand a little bit more, but at some point, you got to get your foot in the door and take that first shot. What did that look like when it comes to prospecting them or reaching out initially? Where did that go? Yeah. So all the while, I'm sending messages, emails, texts to the people at the actual group, at the company, not hearing anything. And I'm still 
also going to customers that we had to just see if there was anyone that was connected closely. And turns out there was a customer of ours that a much smaller organization, only about 300 employees. And uh, anyways, talking to him, I dropped the name. I said, hey, do you know this this group? Do you know anyone from the group? And he said, yeah, I'm actually pretty close with the CEO. I can introduce you via email. And in my head, I'm like, you're a much, much smaller company. I wonder like if there's any credibility there or not, but sure, let's go for it. So he sends the intro email. I picked up pretty quickly on the email and was like, hey, by the way, we do have other fairly large customers that are similar to your organization. We do have the smaller groups and they're great and we love working with them, but we also have the ability to support and work with folks like you. And he actually, um, CEO from the prospect that I was going after responded and we were able to book a meeting for a week or so later, but it was big. In my opinion, it was, I tried to jump on quick and show them that it was not like an apples to apples. Like we're not going to treat you the same as a smaller company. We're going to focus on you. And that's a little bit different of approach. So definitely got, eventually got the meeting scheduled and was able to chat with him. At the time, the CEO though was super focused on mergers and acquisitions, probably still to this day, he is focused mainly on that. So during the meeting, you could tell his head just wasn't quite in the right place to be talking, working with me. So I knew all along that I needed to get in touch with someone a little bit further down the line in the HR, probably VP of HR, director of HR, director of talent acquisition. But we ended the call, wasn't able to get that official intro to, it was always kind of like, during the call, it was, yeah, I'll introduce you to them. And then it never came. And so I'm calling, texting him, emailing him, trying to get an introduction to his HR team, never hearing back. But then I'm like, okay, I can sit here and like close lost this deal and just like let the, that door close and give up on this. Or I just found out that this CEO will be in Vegas for an event coming up here in a month or so. I can try and like go there to Vegas and try and talk to him a little bit about it. So I don't know if you want me to dive into kind of that full story or what, but happy to, if you want me to. Yes. To me, this is the key, right? Every account executive listening to this or seller listening, you took that first bite at the apple. Like it didn't go the way you wanted, but you sure your name's out there. There's some name recognition. You can close, lost it and move on. But I, the, the, I think the tenacity is important here. Like <laughs> the idea that you're just like, I'll just fly to Vegas and figure it out. <laughs> Where did that thought first come from? And then, yeah, talk about execution and what happened. Yeah. So it was an event that that I had wanted to go to anyways, but we had budget was pretty much frozen for events at the time. Like this was like late last year, like middle to late of last year. And so anyways, I was like, we there's no way I'm going to be able to convince marketing to to spend on becoming a vendor like being an attendee at that show but i did convince my vp of sales like under the sales budget to just let me buy like a 300 ticket to vegas but i also didn't like it was like not an official event so i was like i'll take one day i'll fly out at 7 a.m from salt lake to vegas and i'll just walk the hallway and see if i can find the ceo so i didn't have a booth i didn't have an attendee list or anything like that but eventually like caught him walking out of the, I couldn't even go in the, like the expo hall, which was pressing, but I'm like sitting there in the hallway. <laughs> Eventually he's walking out and I caught him and I was like, Hey, you remember me? We talked, I'm the work stream guy. And he was just like, Oh yeah. It was like, he was almost a little bit embarrassed that he had ignored probably like 20 of my calls and 15 emails. But anyways, he was like, 
we're here in person. Let me send this email to introduce you to my HR team, VP of HR, Director of Talent Acquisition. They will run with it if they're interested. And I was like, perfect. Pull out your phone. Let's do it right now. Because if we split and we go do our separate things, I've got to catch a flight in like 30 minutes. But I know if we leave, then the chances of me actually getting in touch with your kind of HR stakeholders will be pretty small. So anyways, he pulled out his phone, sent that email. And then from there, we're talking to the HR team specifically. A few things that I love about this story. One is the fact that CEO, you show up in person and he's like slightly embarrassed. And (laughs) I love that you said 20, 20 calls and 15 emails because a lot of reps would close, lost this thing a long time before they've sent 20 outreaches, 15 outreaches. So kudos to you on doing that. And then I think there's just a good aspect of tenacity here where you really feel like you can help, right? You really feel like there's something we can do for this organization. And rather than letting silence take over, like you figure out a way to get in the door. In this case, right, in-person was an option, like you made it an option through talking to your VP. There's just a ton to like analyze about the way you got that to happen. Um, a lot of reps listening right now, right? If you're considering closing an op, like figure out what the next best step would be to do something like this, right? That is just like so eye-catching that they can't ignore it. And of course, in a very tasteful way. <laughs> yeah. You push him, right? And he doesn't intro on the spot, which is great. So now you know they're not going to run away. You've got discovery on the calendar. What does discovery look like for you? Yeah. Let's see. So we, then I'm talking more specifically with the director of talent acquisition. When the CEO kind of passed me over to the HR team, he said, Hey, this is my VP of HR. This is my director of talent acquisition. If they're interested, they'll they'll work with you basically. So I had a director of talent acquisition handled this aspect of the process most closely. Had a team that kind of does all things recruiting and very close to what we do. And she knew for a while that she needed to innovate. She was fairly new to the company and she's very experienced. So as soon as she stepped in, she knew she needed to update the process that they had in place. They've got thousands of restaurants across dozens of states. And so their process was super archaic. It was like a decade old and she just knew that it needed to be updated. So at the time she was actually searching for new products. And so even though the CEO wasn't super bought into looking at new HR software, for her, it was like this gift from heaven where it was like, oh, this company that's willing to like, you know, go to Vegas and try to hunt us down and talk to us, will definitely entertain what they've got to talk about. So yeah, she was ready to talk innovation. And that's our thing is like going into these groups that have been doing the same thing for a decade and introduce them to new technology that can just make their process way better. At this point, it's a massive lift, right? It's a massive department, massive organization. Director of talent acquisition, yeah, it sounds like there's a straight one-to-one in terms of how you can specifically help, but there's a ton of pain that you need to uncover and unearth. I am curious, there was several meetings across the board outside of the director level. How many different people did you meet with? Did you get super specific with certain kind of departments. And then from there, we can dive into the personalized side of the demo, but just curious, a little bit more digging on that side. Yeah, no. And the VP of HR, so the director's 
boss basically was like, we've been doing the same thing for 10 years. We've worked with those vendors to custom build half a dozen different pieces of the process. And so for her, it was like, it's scary and it's a big risk to jump off of that thing that you've, it's tried and true, but it's just not working that well. So we actually went out in person to their office and presented. We collaborated a little bit with the director on like, hey, you're coming out to really wow the team, wine and dine them a little bit and show them that you're willing to come in and truly partner with us versus like just meeting on Zoom and having a couple calls here and there. So it was important that we went out and went in front of the whole kind of HR team. We talked to some of the operations folks, IT to like really get that buy-in and really show them that, hey, we're willing to spend like tickets to go where they were, not cheap. We're willing to spend three days here working with you, talking with you, come to your office, not, instead of just like sitting at home in the comfort of our office or whatever it is. We're willing to go out and make it show you that we're bought in. Do you find like, and Junior, feel free to chime in, but there's that weird, that odd difference, right? The Zoom meetings, the conversation, a lot can get done and a lot of deals happen that way. But Maybe it's an enterprise touch, but I don't know if this can, you know, go all the way up and down the deal stage and deal cycle and deal size. But I'm curious, the in-person deal versus the Zoom meeting, how do you feel during those? Like, what's your process for that stuff? And Junior, obviously, you probably have some perspective there too. I think like you're going to have your champion, the person that you can pull aside and speak like one-to-one and say, hey, do you think this is a good idea? And in the past, I've, those are the folks that I've, hey, do you think it'd be impressive to the rest of the team if we flew out there and, and took you to dinner and then presented to you, whiteboard all the different ideas that we have? Is that something that you think they would like? Or is that something, or do you think? And I've had people, big, big deals that say, no, they like to work from home. They like to like have their evenings free. It's a little bit of, and then I've had others that are like this one where they're like, absolutely, that would help them understand that you're invested in working with us instead of just opening up Zoom twice a week type of thing. It seems like companies that have been doing things the same for the past 10, 25 years would probably be more receptive to come to the office kind of idea just because they know a lot is going to happen, right? A lot of change yeah. and stuff like that. The in-person is a great aspect, but we also know, I, I really want you to talk about how you personalize the demo because there's ways that reps can personalize using the technology that they're demoing. Walk us through what you did. Yeah, totally. And this is something I've learned from other folks' demos, whether it's at Workstream or people that have come and done demos for us. or, But like most of us are selling SaaS and or something like it. And so being able to personalize or brand your demo for the folks that you're talking to. So that's what I did with this group is I created a whole new Workstream account and I put their logos, I put the name of their company, I put different folks in as candidates and moved them through the process so that when I did the demo with those folks, they could see like, oh, he's doing this with this person. And one of my leaders, mentors, Blake Harbor was, he always taught us to get that aha moment. And it that more times than not is going to require them to be super interactive in your demo. So I incorporated like QR codes and they could scan a QR code and go through the process themselves instead of just sitting there and watching me go through 15 slides and try to explain things. I like to get them involved and help them see the big picture versus me just trying to explain it sentence by sentence. This is probably not the first time you've done something like this, right? Or maybe it was and you're taking a risk, but I 
if I'm a betting man, you're probably not doing this for the second largest account. Uh, <laughs> but I'm curious, like yeah. for that extreme personalization, you've done it. Have you done it before? And if so, what did that look like? And how is it different here? Yeah, I've done it before and like more times than not, it is a good thing, but I've definitely had it flop before where, yeah, I do a full personalization and put people in and make their fake account look like it would be their own. And every now and then you get people that are like, this is a little weird. Just show us what the product in general looks like. So it's definitely flopped. But I think uh, in this scenario, like you said, it's second largest group. I was like, I need to, it can't just be your generic demo that you're going to do for everybody. This needs to be pretty personalized. And I think on this one, I double, triple checked that I had everything right so that it wouldn't flop. The times that it hasn't worked out super well is when I like do a little bit of work to personalize it, but I don't actually go through and make sure that I've done it all correctly. This one, I just double, triple checked prior to the demos and the meetings to make sure that it was all set up the right way and that it was all done in a very tasteful way for sure. Yeah. I would honestly rather flop trying to personalize than just giving like a flat line demo. That's my hot yeah. take for this podcast. It just feels right. I don't know. Maybe yeah. someone challenged take me. Take the awkward silence for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for uh, sure. Through this deal, right? Talk to us about the barriers, barriers that came up, right? Because it's not smooth sailing the whole way through. There's got to be some challenge you faced. Yeah, definitely. So like Workstream as a whole, we're a fairly young company, five years old, starting to find a product market fit. It was only maybe been having great success for two and a half, three years now. And so for us, where we're a pretty small team, pretty scrappy, it was it took a good amount of work to like get the whole team, CS and product implementation team all on board to go through this huge project of onboarding them and coordinating with the customer. So making sure to work closely and really well together internally. We used like, I shared a bunch of call snippets to get the other folks internally at Workstream involved and excited in the deal as well. So that when the time come to actually onboard them, they already know who the stakeholders are and like what the context of the deal already is. For the customer though, like since they've been doing the same thing for so long, it was a big lesson in change management. Talked about that in-person meeting where we had to go and like, get the buy-in of those folks. So where they're saying like, we've done the same thing for 10 years, it's working, like why change too much? That was a, a tough job. They had to work really closely with the champion who she hadn't been there for too long. So she had only been doing that process for a year or so. And she realized that it was outdated and needed to be updated. So there's a lot of logistics, a lot of dozens and dozens of training calls and trying to show that ROI for why the system was going to be an important move as well. Man, the change management on a cell like this has got to be insane, right? Because you're absorbing other pieces of technology that they likely use. You're probably absorbing other existing relationships that they previously had, right? And this company has been doing this for a long time. So it's more than just like, does is the technology going to work for you? And more about like, how do we change the way that you think about this space at large, right? And you yourself, like you're not an industry expert, right? But you're an expert at the type of service that you provide to the industry. And I think those are like two really big distinctions that you have to work through. And getting like leadership on board is one thing, 
And then the actual decision has got to be like, even though you know it's the right decision, I'm just thinking as the customer, I know this is the right thing. We've vetted it out. It's still got to be a heartache to sign the actual contract. Has anyone like expressed that to you? Yeah, totally. At the end of the day, like the buyer is going to make the decision and do what's best for the company, hopefully. And so I think it's important to have that super strong relationship where they can just be open with you and saying like, Chris, the rest of the folks on my HR team are griping about this and what can we do to get them on board? And I think things like that is like going in person and getting people to be really interactive and doing a demo can can get them excited to change a little bit. But it's always, yeah, super. I think you need to have that really open relationship with the champion where they can say like, Chris, I'm worried about if we do this, that no one's going to adopt the platform because they're not excited to change. Can you come or can we do certain things to to drive that adoption and get people excited. And most companies, most salespeople, I don't think take much time to really excite like the below the line, like the end users of the system or the product that you're selling. But I think that can be a huge turning point when you do get them excited because then it takes leadership so much less effort to actually like get adoption to happen. I love that. Quickly recap timeline. Walk us through maybe behind the scenes, what happened? How did you keep this all this stuff straight and organized, especially with so many different different players, buyers that you're working with? Yeah, the deal took about 11 months from the first introduction that I got from that customer till it closed. There was about three months of actual meetings. We did about seven meetings, one of those being that in-person meeting that we had. I think I counted 60 or 70 plus emails that we had, a dozen phone calls and a few maybe probably 10 or so different text conversations. And then I personally, I use Notion a little bit for like general note-taking, just like quick note-taking. Then I paste it into to our CRM. I also use call recording and like sending snippets, like I mentioned, just not only for me to remember, hey, what did they say during this meeting or that meeting? But then also, like I mentioned earlier, getting other folks involved and excited about what's happening is important too. We had to shift and adjust our product a little bit according to their feedback and being able to send a snippet to our chief product officer or some of our product managers and say, this is something that they're very clearly requesting. Can we make this happen? That was huge during that whole process. We're definitely big fans of the call recording, the snippet sending, all of that stuff. 11 months, right? This thing, it took a while from introduction to close. What a sweet deal to like work within a year or so. So through this deal and your larger sales career, what's three pieces of advice you would give any account executive? Yeah. First one would be to just put yourself in into those stakeholders, into your prospect shoes and think about how you would like to be prospected and how you would like to be dealt with. We've all gotten those spam calls where a call center calls you and just it puts you in the worst mood. And uh, so trying to understand like, hey, who am I reaching out to? What does their day look like? What does their life look like? What methods of communication are like actually effective to talk to this, to work through? So putting yourself in their shoes and then working from there. Second one, more specifically, a lesson learned from this deal in particular was that whenever you think or when you think a deal is dead or that it's going nowhere, there's always another door to be opened. So there's there's an event that you can go to. There's swag that you can send. There's a, like a handwritten letter that you can send off. You could fly to Vegas and show up in the hallway 
and just catch them and make them send that email to their <laughs> HR team. There's always something you can do. Like obviously once a deal is dead, it's dead, but like you've got to make sure that it's actually dead before you just sign off on it. I think a lot of folks, myself included, I've sent an email, sent a follow-up email, no one responds. Okay, I'm going to close off that deal and move on to the next one. So just thinking about how many deals you've potentially lost by giving up when you thought it was over. Like third and final, I think this is just more like me in general and just thoughts that I've had over the last few years. Like, I don't think you need to be like this buttoned up business person for to win deals and to impress people. I think people are impressed with your work ethic, your attention to detail. Like I've got long hair and I, I don't think people care that much that I don't have a perfect a perfectly crop, cropped haircut and all of that. I think it's important to just be yourself. You don't need to act more excited. You don't need to act more serious. You just be yourself and people respect it. So that's, yeah, my last piece is just don't try to be someone else while you're selling. Love it. Great pieces of advice. Earlier when you were talking about the way that you personalize demo and how it's flopped in the past, that brings me back to like, just be yourself. Like, even though it flopped, that's what you wanted to do. That's the way you would have done it. So just keep doing it moving forward. Great advice. Great deal. Thanks for chatting on the How I Deal podcast. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me, all And just like that, another episode of How I Deal is in the books. Thanks, Chris, for joining us. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in and listening. We will see you next time. <laughs>